0: Hey CityCast listener, producer Xander McMahon here, and you're about to hear our conversation taped at UMS on August 27th at Mutiny Information Cafe. We had some
1: technical difficulties, the audio is not great, but we wanted to give everyone a chance to check it out anyways. So here's host Bree Davies chatting with musician Miguel Avina from Iz Cali, Swallow Hill concert director Bruce Trujillo, and musician Wes Watkins. So thank you all for joining me. Um, So I think I want to start with UMS itself, because this is the sort of entity we're functioning in today, the Underground Music Showcase. Um, It's been around for many, many years. And um, this year in particular, to me it seems, um, well, first of all, let's say it started out more of an indie festival. And I think indie seems to be code for white often when we talk about music. but this year, the lineup has diversified more than past years. And I wonder, as people that are playing the festival, are part of the festival, do you feel like this change has been made because of the moment? Are you experiencing this as something that's just going to be how it is in the future? What are, you, what are your thoughts about that, diversifying the UMS lineup?
0: I can kind of start um, just from working in radio and kind of being able to uh, look at the lineup really closely. Who do we want to speak with? Who do we want to have on air? Who are we catching the performances from? Um, I think it's been kind of an upward trend for the past few years, but like less than five to where it's been noticeable. Um, This year is probably one of the most diverse lineups I've seen, particularly in sound, but in many other ways as well. But even 2019, it was like... This is actually pretty cool. Like, look at how many we have here, and I think a part of that is also that the underground music showcase is becoming kind of a bigger name. I mean, it's been around for 21 years now. This is 21st year, um, but like, wow, it took 21 years to get to this lineup, also. Um, but yeah, I think like 2018, 2019, it was like, oh, look at, look at, like, there's like a more than a handful of artists that we can say it's a different sound, it's a different, yeah, and not it, just
1: in. It, the the musicians themselves but the genres that we're seeing. I think also I think it kind of functioned a little bit as an insular festival in a certain way where like if you were part of a section of the music scene you were playing it but if you weren't, you maybe weren't playing it, and now we're seeing it spread to different aspects of the music community, which I really like. Like, we're seeing more R&B. We're seeing more hip, I mean, there were points when you wouldn't see any hip hop acts, to be honest with you.
0: And if I can go back to your comment about indie being like code word for white, like that's something that, uh, that I think is such an interesting thing because like it isn't actually there's plenty of like artists of color who are making indie music but it, there's there is that perception right to where people are like oh no we don't want to play that because they're they're latin or they're black but it's like they're making indie music like that it's a genre it's not a look it's not a anything and so that I think has also opened up doors where people are like oh no this is an indie artist and we should be playing them like and we shouldn't be boxing in people because they have a certain look or a certain whatever. Like if it's indie music, it's indie music.
2: Done. Well, for me uh, it's interesting just sitting here even thinking about my first exposure to the UMS. Uh, 2009 I was sitting uh, in the crowd of something very similar like this. It was actually, they were doing it at the church across the street. Um, uh, College of Arts and Media had put together like some kind of talk. Uh, my sister and I attended and just as an outsider, totally, we felt as outsiders, as a band that had already been active for um, about five years and had never had the opportunity to play this festival. Um, At that point, I pretty much just know one other band that was of Latin or Hispanic descent, that was at the time they were called Panal, but now they're office. and they were definitely trailblazers, at least for me, uh, in kind of being the model to follow as how to um, get into the scene. Now for us it was a very uh, interesting way of getting into it, just basically we had an opportunity to play an unofficial uh, bus that they had right outside of Three Kings one time and, and, and Enrique from Panay was actually the one that had us play there, but other than that um, even though we were an active band there was really no way for us to get involved or and, and even to this day it's very limited in terms of how other Hispanic rock bands can get involved into the scene. Um, there's been many bands that have been active for many many years and the accessibility to the festival for those people um, is just simply not there Um, now it's it's like two-sided right because it's also it takes those people to actually expose themselves to this to come down here on a friday night you know miss work um, leave their babies at home whatever the case may be uh, in order to be part of this culture as well and to be here to also put in their grain of sand to create this the diversity in the culture so it's two-sided and i've seen personally bands that i've been like hey man you gotta submit and then last minute it's like oh we didn't think about it or whatever but so at that point there's only so much i can do to also bring them in and so much i can do to advocate for them um at the end of the day you know each band is going to have to advocate for themselves but Again, one of the barriers I see would be accessibility to the festival for other rock bands. Well, it's interesting
1: Hispanic. too because you bring up um, Altas Banal, and they were sort of your entry point. So they're a fellow band that are representing, you know, that are Hispanic or identify as Latinx, and they're saying to you, "Yeah, hey, come play with us." But that's what it took. It went in. You know, it's not a booking person reaching out to you. You know what I mean? Even though you were, like you're saying, you're an active band for half a decade, and that's what it took. And that, to me, is I think a lot of people's experience is somebody else, you know, inviting another musician inviting them in. Yeah, Wes.
3: Yeah, I mean, my experience is definitely that I was a a side man for white male fronted bands. Yeah, the, for wow. my. So I crossed over, which is cool, but I do I worry a little bit about. Look, I am happy to see brown people getting paid, y'all. That's what we need, right? Yes. But the the thing that does scare me still about UMS is while we're seeing that, like when I think about R and B or hip hop, I know maybe as many white fronted R and B and hip hop bands here as I do black, if not more, right? Yeah. There's an amount of fetish. It's It's physically responsible to be woke now, mm. so like. To be woke, all of a sudden it's like, oh, we support this and we support that, and then all of a sudden what we're experiencing is like, you're not actually, because like like you're saying, like for you to have to be invited in, for me to have to play with white bands to get in with my music and almost two thousand songs, one of them has to be a banger. I like I, <laughs> I just think that like there is an amount of fetishization that exists in that because it's fiscally responsible for these people. And I love you, UMS. But like I do think that like maybe the best option is like, but like Kat's like, yeah, submit. You know, we all need, like you said, like it's every band's job to do, to we gotta rep ourselves first. Nobody's gonna rep me if I don't rep me. But also that is not the experience that white musicians in Denver have, because mm-hmm. white musicians rep white musicians. Yeah. So like at some point I think that the, yeah, the fetishization is getting, it's a little weird, you know? And don't touch me, by the way.
1: <laughs> so you're saying like the tokenization of like, oh, we've got an eclectic lineup this year. Like, yeah, what does mean. that mean? You what know? does it mean? What does it really mean? And so I have questions, one question for each of you individually. And Wes, I think I want to start with you because you kind of touched on it. And you've played with many bands over the years, um, along with being a band leader in your own projects. But I'm thinking in particular about a certain experience that you had playing with a certain band that just played Red Rocks. Um, and at one point, you were the only musician of color in that band, but that band itself played certain elements of soul music and spirituals and was really rooted in, I mean, rock and roll is black music. but um, I wonder if you could it's talk about it's all black music. <laughs> I wonder if you could talk about that particular experience being in this very internationally visible band and being the only black member of a, a white soul band.
3: Well I I think the first thing I'd like to bring up is something I talk to students about often. We're like, there is only one thing that can, there's only one thing that separates influence or inspiration from appropriation. And that's acknowledgement. If you can acknowledge where it came from, what has gotten you to this point, then it's not appropriation. Now one dude in that band who writes most of the songs is pretty good about saying, no i just love this i heard this song and was inspired to write this that dude's pretty good about it but the crowd mm. would refuse to really acknowledge the fact that it was black music you know like especially at the time where it's like you know i stopped playing trumpet because hashtag trumpet turned into something i didn't want to see so i was like i'm not playing trumpet anymore i flew a horn i play cornet but i especially around the time when that dude is like running for president, like the things that people would say to me were pretty off putting. Especially because everybody likes black music. You guys like folk? <laughs> yeah. You guys like rock and roll, soul, hip hop, metal. Like it's all like rooted in a place, you know? Like the I going to arts high school, I think, really taught me how to like start to see this, where I'm like, well, like, oh, they got all this classical music and stuff, and everybody assumes that Western civilization made pop music. Mm-hmm. But what has been popular has always been black music. So to be touring with that, to be the only black guy, I was just telling them, my first tour, I wore a fro wig the entire time, because I'd never been to the Midwest, and I was worried <laughs> about what the experience was going to be like. I was right. Yeah. But everybody likes a fro because there's a fetishized, a tokenization that happens with that so like my experience there was I mean I learned a lot I got to do some really cool things but it really made me want to be in charge because what I experienced more often than not was calm down Wes Mm. how many times have you guys told somebody to calm down and it worked
1: usually the opposite happens yeah right
3: so like it I mean that experience was very enlightening and maybe made me pretty pissed off with white culture musically just because i'm like well you can't you gotta show up show up or shut up you know like and so if i'm being fetishized and tokenized i'm talking to these people but you don't have anything to say about it well like what am i supposed to do there
1: the conversation's only going one way yeah yeah well and i i mean i i just know you as a person that plays with everybody i like to say
3: i play music of intention yes yeah
1: yeah um Miguel your work as a multilingual musician as well as someone who's done artist management and promotion you've done a lot of work to bring the Hispanic and Latinx music and musicians to the forefront and create accessible ways for people to connect with that music but it still has me thinking about this concept of indie and it's so often separate or different from Spanish speaking music um when in reality like Bruce was pointing out there's not a difference there, nope. you know what I mean? It's not, Bruce, you do a whole show about this on Indie1023, where you highlight these musicians, where in a perfect world, they would just be part of the rotation of every upper very minor.
0: 100%. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, how do you feel about that separation, Miguel? Well,
2: uh, as far as, in, in my point of view, or at least from my creative side and point of view, Indie for me would be a genre, really because in Mexico, um, there aren't indie bands that they, they play an indie style rock and very much influenced by the indie bands of the, of the UK or the United States or Europe, whatever. So there are indie bands and they do separate themselves from other genres in, in Mexico. So um, in the Latin in the Hispanic side of things here in Denver, there are some bands that are considered indie as a genre, but I always haven't, like my dad's always had an argument with me when I've mentioned that when I when I've told people like we play indie rock or we have some indie rock influences, my dad says, "Well, everybody is indie indie rock because the the word really is uh, stemming from independent, right? Being not signed or anything like that. So most of the bands in Denver, of course, are unsigned, and in, in, including the ba- the ones in the Hispanic community. So um, I don't know that that word doesn't really trigger me at all it could, because I see it more of a, a, a genre, um, but. Clearly, there is a separation on the American side of things or the like Anglo side of things, um, where I guess the UMS is is a little bit more rooted on representing indie bands or that genre, or at least was for many many years. Um, like Wes just mentioned, and you guys were mentioning that the diversity in the lineup has had an upward trend. Like, and in, in over the years, I mean, we played since 2011. I think was our first UMS, and since then, every year has has added more Hispanic bands or Latin influence bands. Um, But again, talking about tokenization, I mean, there was many years where I felt we were put in a position of not being able to compete directly with headlining slots of other bands that we felt we were comparable to in terms of like draw or just overall performance. we were singing in Spanish or because there was elements of our, of our band that was in Spanish but I think it just over the years just doing our job and just breaking through um, has really got us where, where we are now.
1: Yeah. Bruce can you talk a little bit about Especial about your show on Indie1023 and, and what you do with with that show and sort of its, its existence within the bigger picture of radio?
0: Sure. Um, so I created Especial because um, I am of mixed race. I am half Latin um, and notice that we don't really have there's not there's not a whole lot of Latin bands within a regular log in a radio throughout the day um, and that's a shame because there's a lot of artists that fit right in that would sound exactly the same that you wouldn't know but they're brown um, that's the, the fact of it and also looking at the uh, uh, where we live we live in Denver we live in Colorado then like we there there's a history here by the way um, there's also that um, which is still prevalent and it's unfortunate and like you said earlier a lot of these bands do fit right in and yeah. it's unfortunate that you know like within the past year and a half past six months I take that back uh, I have had I have been told like oh we just I've never added a song in Spanish before into a regular lineup and it's like I'm sorry like what a indie formerly open air has been around for ten years and then before that, you know, the people that have been working with me have been in radio for decades. And it's like, this is the first time that you've added a song in Spanish and it's not in a specialty show. So you brought up the dichotomy of like, okay, we have this show, it's centralized in new and independent Latin made music from around the Americas and right here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it has to exist because these artists do need to be put in the spotlight, but they're not next to other artists that are just as big sounds very similar. Sometimes not as good, mm-hmm. to be honest, not as <laughs> good. Um, so like, it's this weird dichotomy where we have to shine a spotlight onto these different artists, even though they should just kind of be part of the bigger part of the bigger always. picture. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the hope. And thankfully, um, where I work, we have been able to add more, like noticeably more. Yeah. In my log the other day, I was like, oh my god, There's like five Latin artists in this hour alone. That's so sick. But that has not historically been the case. And especially with indie, especially, pardon me, but with like national public radio types of radio stations, that's not necessarily the case, And especially in Colorado. And it's such a bummer, like unless you wanna, um, you know, especially, unless you're listening to like a specialty radio station where it's like, we're playing these artists all the time. But when we have independent, we're playing indie music, whatever the case is, it's usually like, we're going to play the hold steady and we're going to play pavement. And we're, and I love those bands, by the way, but like, why aren't we playing Chicano Batman more often? Why aren't we playing Ilabamba more often? Why aren't we, you know, I could go on, I could go on, and I do in <laughs> a yeah, but it's a, it's a bummer that it has to exist, but it has to exist to get these bands at least on air at 10 p.m. on a Wednesday. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's the. Sorry, Wes, did you have something Hi. to share? I was just thinking about the why when you
3: were saying that. and I, th- I think like generic incarnations of what we intuitively do is safe. Like why don't you see more brown people on the main stage at these festivals is because the generic incarnation of that is safe. You don't have to worry about the trauma that these people have experienced that created the art scaring people away. You know, like it's like a thing where it's like the generic incarnation people feel is safe. So I, I love you for starting that program because it's I think that's a thing. Ho-
1: that, but that says a lot not about them, the audience Not for me, too. not
3: for you, not for any of right, us. Right? I was yeah, like, not for Denver.
1: You know, the audience skews white. I mean, mm-hmm. you've been walked down the street during UMS, a lot of white people. You know,
0: like. Well, it's like how many people identify with that, but then it's like how many people really do identify with that? Because you know, you go out to these shows, and it is like it's a safe space for people to go to that are brown, that are black, that are, you know, whoever is playing on stage. But that doesn't mean that it isn't more accessible to other people. It doesn't mean that other people don't need to hear it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just—I mean—that I think it's like a bigger pop question too. Like, I'm gonna make a song about heartache. Like, okay, we all get it, but like. That's not necessarily like the best music, and that doesn't mean that it's the only experience that is universal or where a large swath of people have experienced the same thing. Those those stories need to be heard, and they need to be told, and they need to be highlight, highlight, highlighted, (laughs) whatever that is. Um, That's still very important, and a lot of people do still identify with it. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Well, and Wes, I
1: know that you are actively working right now to create a space for black musicians to play together um, in an area of Denver playing at the Meadowlark that was, you know, is in Five Points, which was a historically black neighborhood, which has seen a lot of change. What are you doing or what are you seeing when you are putting that night together?
3: Well, (laughs) it's fun because there's accountability. The band holds me accountable. That's because they know I'm going to hold the venue and the audience accountable, and then the audience holds itself accountable. So there's accountability, and then they hold us accountable. So accountability through, I'll stop the song and be like, hey, sir, 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 that woman asked you to back up three times, and now I have to talk to you, so maybe back up or get the fuck out. You know, like, it's nice because that accountability hasn't existed. You know, when you have, a jazz club open that books like 30% black headliners in a historic black jazz neighborhood, you can see the changes that have happened. I had to I had to make that gig for that reason, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. And it is said go to the Meadowlark Wednesday nights. Thanks. What is your night at the Meadowlark, Wes? Uh,
1: Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, come and hang out. Good chicken sandwich. <laughs> good chicken sandwich. There is the best chicken sandwich that was there. I didn't know that, I did not know that.
3: Shimmy. Chicken Sandwich is good. Feed your friends, as this organization is good.
1: Good to know, thank you. Um, Bruce, so you also do a lot of work to diversify the scene. To me, on the booking side, you've created Colorful collaboro- Colorado Collaborations to amplify artists of color. I don't wanna say, are you? do you feel like you're doing this work in vain, but are you seeing any, is
0: this, are you seeing any larger change? Yes, thankfully. Um, so yeah, Colorful Colorado collaborations. Just turned a year old, by the way. We're super excited. We've done, Yay! Yay! Congratulations. Um, we've done eight unique collaborations throughout the city and one in Colorado Springs. Um, and one of the most like, wow moments for us was actually with our first collaboration this year with Nina De Freitas. And she, we partnered her with Alchemy Ritual Goods and it was beautiful. Like, if anybody hasn't heard Nina sing, go home, like bring the tissues, you okay. will cry um but our sound guy that night uh ryan Fu, who is also a wonderful human being yeah. uh does many things in the community uh he then booked her for his birthday party of and one of the guys I don't, I don't know if it was with lovett pavilion or with devochka either way they saw nina perform and then she opened for devochka and it was like this nice direct like direct line where it was like without Colorful Colorado that might have taken a little bit longer for her to get onto that stage and she belongs up there like she belongs on main stage here and she had she wasn't booked here by the way and I'm upset about that but um that's one of those things where we've been able to see like a direct yeah that that happens there and like we're working with artists that have like definitely had a name made a name for themselves already like the reminders they don't need our help but like That was one of the most beautiful nights of my life like watching them perform in a tiny jamaican restaurant while it's blizzarding outside in colorado springs that was sick um but like yeah seeing nina be able to go from like just our little humble thing into performing at leather pavilion with devochka was beautiful
1: that's amazing thank you Miguel, can you talk a little about this too? Because you
0: you mentioned it too, just
1: being somebody on the booking artist management side of things, are you seeing bigger changes with the work that you're doing or?
2: Well, uh, I would say yes and no, because there's some, uh, there are organizations and entities and booking and spaces that are open and actually put their money where their mouth is in terms of booking Latin bands and not only offering them to play on a Monday night or Tuesday night mm-hmm. when no one's going to be there, even the right. most loyal fans. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are entities that are doing that. Um, in my experience, one of the ones that definitely has been very fair with that has been like Ophelia's, which is, I mean, at, at this point, I believe still an independent venue, even though it's being booked by Live Nation. Um, when it opens, but um, but not only just the venue that believes in itself, but the people that work there. So like Randall uh, from Ophelius, is the one; he's an advocate for that. Yeah. I've been working with him since when he was in the walnut room, um, and kind of the same deal. We created these relationships that um, are fruitful in partnering up and making sure that it's a win-win kind of situation. And I believe strongly in that. Um, to, to create these paths for diversity there has to be a win-win situation like I'm not going in there just to try to take advantage of the place but also I don't like to be taken advantage of um the last time I played the high dive was in 2009 and that was a night that I sold 50 tickets and got paid 20 dollars and I was like I'm never coming back here yeah. um, wow. because wow. I felt like um it had been an you know, we had been taken advantage of and I didn't feel that was fair and I didn't feel the need to continue to play that venue despite the fact that, you know, it's a it's a staple of the community here. You're the
1: kind of band I would see in the Right, at Belinda, And is I LA love the is place who I, would I see there. I,
2: I frequented, I, I go see bands there, but the band has never played there since then. Um, and I just feel you know, I, I have to have respect for myself and for my band, um, when those th- kind of things happen. So to have a venue like Ophelia's you know, drop, you know, 2K when you ask them for that and offer you a green room and decent treatment and food and drinks and everything with no questions asked, knowing the kind of work that you're going to do, that's the kind of relationships that I want to build and the kind of bridges that I want to also share with the rest of the bands, you know, whether they're Anglo or Hispanic. Um, But yeah, I think it has gotten better. um, like I said, it's been a changing landscape here in Colorado, including the people that are booking the venues. So it's a constant having to do a little bit of work at the beginning again to form those relationships. Um, luckily, the people that we've chosen to continue to work with have moved into the right places. You know, many of them have moved up. I mean, Randall is the head booker at at uh, Levitt now, yeah. um, and we have a great relationship with them. Um, Levitt let us do a festival, Doc De Mayo, for the first time. Um, and we were headlining and that's like that was something that was a lot of work It took years of work to do that a lot of opening slots there a lot of like uh, Street work and just you know promoting and everything that that got us there. So I'm Optimistic in terms of the direction where things are, are going um, But definitely we need a lot more people like advocating and helping us and it starts with the bands but also the crowd and them being open to uh going to those experiences, being open to experiencing them, and also supporting them.
1: Yeah. And you bring up people that are doing this sort of back end of the industry, the, the booking, running the venue, doing the sound. Um, do you all see a shift in that as well? Because when we say diversifying the music scene, does that just mean we see folks of color on stage more often? Or are we actually seeing them in those positions that are often the better paid? Like, let's be honest, they're the better paid, more consistently um, paid positions.
3: Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it, in my experience, it's cats like you two, or myself, who like build our shows and our, anything we're doing, we build it from the ground up. That's where you see those roles. That doesn't mean we're getting paid the same wages, and in fact, most of the time, I think that we're probably when we're in those positions getting paid less because we're trying to we're make sure that we free. represent or doing it for free because we're trying to represent those that we're booking. But like, I mean, what? I know that Herman's now is part owner by James, and that's a black
1: man. I wondered actually. I just noticed Herman's lineup more There's often. There's still a lot of work to do. There is a lot of work to do at Herman's Hideaway. <laughs> if you've been in Denver for a while. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it's interesting, but I have noticed more black artists playing there.
3: Yeah, but now, I mean, that's part owned by a, a black man. But I'm, I mean, like, can you guys think of any venues in town that the head talent buyer or the manager or the owner are a person of color? I can't think of one.
0: I'm like half and I am now a talent buyer. And that's like, really? cool, like you hired yeah. a light cool. <laughs> <you> tan <Thanks>. person. <know?
3: laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, it's very unfair, I think. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I was talking with Celeste, who's my co-founder with Colorful Colorado Collaborations, and we're like, are there any venues in Denver that are owned, booked, run by a BIPOC person? And there are not. And so we're like, should we open a venue? Like, and yes, yes we should, yes. It, yes. but like, okay, do we have the money? Like, no, we, yeah. we're, we're also, we're. We're doing colorful colorado for free by the way like we're doing all this extra stuff for free because we believe in it and we need it to be in our community and it is important work but like damn like we don't we don't get funding for that we don't get anything for like the other work that we're doing and but it's it's providing this space and so hopefully one day we will be able to potentially buy a venue but then you also look at like the aslan theater there's like their their, uh, taxes keep getting more and more and more down on Santa Fe. So they're being run out. And it's like, that is, that's run by a brown couple. And they're so sick. They're so sweet. And they're so wonderful. But like the building needs so much work on it. Like there's, there's a lot of work that needs to go into that. And so like, what can we do to save those places? We have to do, the community has to come together to do that. But like, yeah, do we, do we have enough money to do that? It's hard
1: to with no. somewhere like the Azalon because I know my husband Greg did a lot of work there booking some stuff a couple of years ago with Timmyo and Aurora, and they just don't trust a lot of folks, for good reason. Yeah. Like, they don't trust, you know what I mean, they've been in the city for a really long time, so it's even hard to be an older Chicano couple running this venue and trusting that, because we've... This is something else I want to talk about too, is like AEG and Live Nation are the two, so if you're not familiar with how booking works here in Denver, AEG and Live Nation are the two main, major bookers of the big shows and the big venues. Um, what are you, what are you, what is your all's take on them in general? Do you feel like they're doing any of this work that you all are clearly doing for no money?
2: Well, I will say, I mean, our relationship with AEG uh, has grown over the years. It started just because it was a token kind of deal. Like, oh, we're a sp- you're a Mexican band? Oh, you know how to talk to Mexican people? Yeah. You can he- help us sell some tickets. Um, it started like that. Yeah. Um, and it took a long time to like work, I think, a lot more work than I was seeing other bands put in, in order to get to certain places. Mm. Our very first show at the Bluebird um, was with Rubedo, and that was the first time that they k- semi-trusted us. They were like, yeah, you've been playing for this long, and I know you can draw
0: this kind of amount draw, of people,
2: yeah. but we don't know if we can trust you. Like, even with all the work we had put in. Um, and, I mean, Greg will tell you, the deal wasn't even that sweet. We could have gotten a way better deal somewhere else, but it's also part of putting in the work and, and also kind of, I don't know, I guess, taking more for the team. if. if so to speak, to say, like, this is how I'm going to get my foot in the door. And once you see me here, then you're really going to believe in me, or it's time to move on and work with somebody else. But luckily, the people that I work with there, um, the relationship has has been, again, a win-win. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of opportunities to open and play places that a lot of bands haven't, because we put in the work. And not only because we're a Mexican or a, like bilingual band. Um, so it's been nice to see that that's been uh, respected, but I will say it took a lot of extra work. Uh, like I said, more than than I've seen other bands have to put in to get to those same places. Um, but it's it's worked out well that it's they've been responsive. Live Nation. We've had the experience of working two shows with them, um, but one of them was at the Fillmore, and then it was like again one of those things where. It was, the person that booked us for that show had been someone that had booked us uh, during Soda Jerks years, like, you know, seven Early or eight years, years ago. Yeah. Company, but yeah. again, it was making an impression when we could at the, uh, the opportunity that we had, playing for $50 at the time, because it was a show at the Summit. We They literally paid us 50 bucks, but it was opening for Molotov, and I was like, I'll play that show for free. I have, <laughs> I have played
1: that $50 so, show to open for my but favorite But it was necessary
2: to years later be like, hey, can we open at the Fillmore? They're like, there you go, you know? Because so we know you've done the work. The
3: relationship
1: is there. Right. Bruce, yeah. what, <laughs> what are your thoughts on, on the larger I
3: feel waters? like when I stopped playing with that, first of all, I think that was my first Bluebird show too, actually, so thanks, Greg. <laughs> thank <laughs> you for that, Thank, thank you, Greg. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, th- I think after I stopped playing with that, that one uh, band, then i i stopped seeing the response from ag which is really interesting as soon as it was about me being in front of the band
1: and not being the side man for and exclusively the white band.
3: at that point i wasn't i quit everything so i wasn't support for any white male fronted band you know and at that point my communication with both of those places really died off um mm-hmm. and i mean a not just those places, but a lot of places. So, I don't know. I mean, I would like, I have some good friends in AEG. Uh, including a talent buyer who used to be the talent buyer for Dazzle, now is a production manager for Laramela. Which is a very exciting thing for me, you know?
1: It's good to have that person in that yeah,
3: venue. Yeah, you know, but I mean,
1: but not
3: really otherwise. No, yeah, I mean, they don't care. They're like, he'll figure it out. <laughs> and I do, but I shouldn't have to, you know? But yeah. I don't know. Also, I just want to say, like, I I whine, and I think I got it bad, but then I think about, like, all of the brown women who brought me up through the scene in the first fucking place. Like, where are they? You know, like, and they're getting it even worse than, like, like we are, you know? Like, Yeah. You know? I don't know, whatever, AEG. Yeah. Me in red <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I kind of have to echo I think that uh, it's um I think that in a lot of different places in the music business there's now it's it's we have to have like a quota how many black artists are we booking how many brown artists are we booking how many women are we booking how many two S L G B T Q plus artists are we booking and it's like that's gross you know like it feels disgusting but unfortunately for a lot of people it's necessary because it's like it doesn't even cross your mind that this band that would sound great with this other one should be there because they're black or they're brown or they're whatever so it's like you know that's that's kind of what I see a lot that's what I see a lot of the music industry as and it's just like let's fill some quotas and feel good about ourselves for booking this one black artist this one time good job right like it's it it feels icky because it is icky um and I but I especially I I see that with AEG and Live Nation and um, who's gonna sell the most tickets? It's always gonna be a black artist. It's, it's usually gonna be a black woman. We, we can yeah. talk about that, but like, all right, we're gonna, we'll bring in this black artist, but then we're also gonna have three nights of fish or Ava Brothers or whatever up at Red Rocks. And it's like, okay. And those, I mean, but they, they do sell out. And so it's like, there's that gross business side it's of business. it. But like, yeah, right. so it's just, that's what I see it as. It's purely business. What's gonna bring in the most money? And then what are we gonna feel good about meeting our quota at? Yeah. So why are they making us buy tickets? Why do we
3: have to sell tickets? There's somebody who gets paid at least three times, if not 10 times more than me, whose job title is concert promoter. Like, <laughs> get out of here, man. Like, you not sell the done tickets. Done. <laughs> my, my job's write the songs, man. Like, go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> or me a wage.
1: Right, or pay me a living wage. I I think about, as a person that's been um, a music critic here in Denver, I've put on shows in Denver, I've been in bands in Denver. Um, who I tend to work with other women. Or I tend to also just be around a lot of other queer, queer artists or just my people. So then bigger booking agents who have the job, the white guy that has the job calls me and says, well, I got this girl band coming through and I need some local openers. Can you recommend people? And I'm like, why am I doing your job, but I can't get your job? and do your job. And I think, Bruce, you're a great example. You are in that position, but you're saying, cool, first, you know, next person doing this job in, in the white landscape of booking agents, but they're still finding ways to have us do their jobs, you know?
0: Absolutely, and like, I mean, even in any part, you know, and I think a lot of, a lot of femmes can probably like relate to this. We're doing all this extra work and, um, you know i can't speak as a black person or a total brown person either but like you know it's like yeah you know you know other latin artists right like do do this job for me recommend five bands yes. i'm gonna one call my friend in a, in a latin band
1: and have him I do get,
2: it i get you know one or two texts every month like hey man what do you think about this band uh and i'm just they're like w- how many tickets do you think they'll bring you know like I'm just sitting there, like, man.
1: Like, why is this? My, job? I'm not even getting paid to do I'm your
0: job.
1: Like and the other thing, you just go to the show. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, do you in there. to of the shows that I booked and check out the bands that you're asking now, about, and then you might actually have an answer to your question.
2: But the, the thing is, though, that um, I will recognize that the times that I've that I've had feedback, I've been heard, and I've seen it as a better situation for the community because those bands get to come here like they'll ask mm-hmm. me about indie bands that no one else is going to take a chance on yeah. and i'm like honestly dude they're going to sell 300 tickets but bring them because they're great and then they bring the bands and they're here and so many people are grateful they're like how did this band even get here you know and exci- it's exciting to be part of that because yeah. again there is a dirty side to the business but at the same time if i were to just be like no i'm not going to tell you or i'm, I'm not going to help happen. then it might not happen right
1: Miguel, can you talk? We were talking before the show, but you were talking about a group of musicians that you're working with around diversity. Can you just tell us what that is or what you're doing? So uh, the project
2: is called Bodies of Culture. Uh, It's being put together by Andy at Laba Pavilions. Um, He's just kind of the facilitator. He's not the like the owner of the crew or anything like that. He was just kind of the one that kind of called you know around and was like trying to integrate people into the crew Um, and. Basically the idea behind it is to create accountability and awareness of of diversity uh, in the music and arts community in general. Um, So it's a diverse cast of characters that are on the group, we do uh, bi-weekly meetings. Um, But the whole plan, I mean there's a lot of different missions or parts of the mission that we're trying to put together. One of them would be like to actually formalize a survey that venues could fill out in terms of cultural diversity and accountability. Um, But, I mean, there's a lot that comes with that because, like, Bruce was talking about people that are just checking off boxes and saying, yeah, yeah, we booked 10% Hispanic bands uh, last month, but, yeah, they were on Tuesday nights or Monday nights. They were on on the worst night of the week. Right, Right. and so um, how you gauge the quality of the booking is also, it gets tricky. Um, The ultimate goal would be to, that this uh, Bodies of Culture entity would be um, not necessarily, like, a, a... Well, kind of like a stamp of approval and say, yeah, this venue is actually working. It's a safe space for uh, people of color, for women, for Hispanic uh, bands and and artists to come to. Um, That would be kind of the idea behind it. uh, it's been a pleasure to be part of it. So right now, it's still kind of in the working stages. Hopefully, it'll be officially like launching um, in the next coming months. But um, really, the people that are involved on it have been in the community for many, many years. So the experience like uh, that everybody's bringing together, I think, is, is invaluable.
1: If you all could, if one thing could change tomorrow about the music scene, or you could see one major change happen, Um, that would make things better, you think for the artists in general, what would it be? I know that's a big, broad question.
3: (laughs) It's the same thing that it would be for life in me. I would never find myself in a homogenous room because it's not interesting, it's boring, it's like not fun, it's not fiscally responsible for everybody. I would like to see, I would like to be able to walk into a place that has integrated faculty, Integrated representation, integrated crowds, because that's what makes, or at least that's what we all got lied to and told. That's what makes America America. <laughs> and so I just feel like if we really want, as we listen to the radio, as we listen to pop music, as we watch all of this. If we really want, like, to live what it's supposed to be, like we keep saying it's supposed to be, like what the first thing we need is exactly what you're working on, Miguel. You know, like, all of us are working on, but that organization, especially, you know, is like make an integrated room, you know, like, no offense, y'all, but this is kind of homogenous for me, you know, that's why I worked so hard to start a gig where like it's always gonna be black faces on stage so that black people feel comfortable to come. Because it's scary for me to walk into a homogenous room, you know, so I always talk about, and people's perceptions will change. I always talk about how like if, if there's a crew of all men, say it was all men in this room, and one woman walks in, how much does every man's attitude in the joint change? And not necessarily for the better, but if that same room is 50% and 50%, anybody who walks in knows that there's going to be some amount of accountability that's going to be held, everybody's held to. And so I think for me, the big thing that we could do for artists, but not just artists, just people, like across the globe, is really actively start trying to create a world where like everything is integrated. You know
1: and i think we're seeing it a little bit more with our venues not as much as we could i would say 10 years ago though that what venues you know where black artists played was certain venues el where white artists played was or el chapultepec which was everyone you know which was a rarity unfortunately yeah. right. but
3: then but then like i wasn't around but then 40 years ago what was it like in Denver Right. In five Points, you know? As jazz, 50 years, 60 years, you know, as jazz was pop music, like, all of that was integrated. Like, yeah. and then they were like, oh, wow, look, there's money here. You're not allowed, go home. Yeah. What home? Yeah. You took it, you know? So I do think Denver, unfortunately, from like the 60s up until this moment, has worked very hard to make sure that it is segregated rooms, because for some reason, everybody's convinced that only white people got money.
0: <laughs> Great point. Great point. I think to go along further with that, and this is something that we, that I am looking at going into Swallow Hill, Swallow Hill does have like a pretty good history of booking a range of music in all of the different ways, but who is attending these shows?
1: Mm-hmm. Traditionally
0: white folks, because, yeah. uh, you know, Swallow Hill started as Denver Folk Alliance, but like, even if we look at the term folk music, like, it's not white, um, but that is who the base is is and how can we like have we done work to go into five points have we gone into westward have we gone into the north side pre gentrification uh before it became what low high or whatever they call it now um like okay have we so, that's like there's another name so that's a different show you guys Sobo. Um, but, like, how, how much have we gone out to find audience and make sure that we are serving that audience, not, like, you come here, like, are we going out there? So that's something that I'm trying to do, and that's what I would like to see. I would love to see that tomorrow. Like, I want our audiences to look like the bands that we are booking. Because when it's an all-white audience at a Hawaiian festival or a black jazz, it's like, this seems kind of yeah. showcase, like... It and that's again. because folks of color
1: don't feel comfortable. I know this from booking events at like, the Museum of Contemporary Art. It doesn't matter how many people of color I have on stage doing all sorts of parts of the festival, the, the people coming to the festival, that didn't change. Yeah. Because that institution itself didn't feel welcoming to folks um, to... Not white people, frankly.
0: Yeah. so okay. how can we make how can we make venues feel more comfortable yeah. and make them into safe spaces? that's, that's what that's what I'm trying to do next yeah. for sure.
2: Um, well, for me to, to talk a little bit about that as well and like this, the spaces for the market that we work, right? So it's been a challenge because we've had to build and pick and choose places where our community will thrive where they will feel comfortable. Um, You mentioned like the Aslan Theater. My dad was booking shows there like since 2003 like rock bands and big a big empty space really because we never got over a hundred people for those shows, but nevertheless the community was there. They were it was authentic. It was people were gathering for Like a real reason right? It wasn't a hype thing. It was just like the, the rockeros Mexicanos that were there for that to experience that.
1: And it was known as a place like that for a long time yes people knew
2: i can go there now creating those spaces again um i'm gonna play a little bit devil's advocate here it takes both sides like i know people that wouldn't come down like from my crowd would not come and see me at the time when it was like three kings and we were playing ums they just would not come here they'd be like what is this place it's it's sweaty it's smelly it's (laughs) (laughs) no they got that AC now though yeah Yeah. 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 (laughs) value but um you know you have to understand those kinds of situations so we we take them to Ophelia's right super clean place it's sound production is great screens bathrooms are clean everything is there now drinks are like 10 bucks for a beer right Right. (laughs) but like we were talking about that like um, how in on the business side when when they recognize hey there's money here it's like they also put their money where their mouth is like all right, we're gonna open the doors on a Saturday night when we could be playing whatever else, but we choose to have a rock band in Spanish with a full Latin, um, like, um, lineup um, just because the crowd is going to be responsive. They're going to come out, they're going to spend money, they're going to feel respected, which they do. Like our crowds love to play, go to that place because they, they get taken care of. The staff is super friendly. They don't make a face at you. It's um, integrated. It's yeah. integrated, exactly. Yeah. Now, I I will tell you, my early experiences coming down to South Broadway, talking about 2007, 2008, I didn't feel like that. I I felt like an outsider, because I I didn't feel part of the scene, um, but it wasn't until I started also talking and and creating that community, you know? I think that's important, it's always a a two-sided thing, but accessibility to me is is one of the key things that's missing to create this diversity. The accessibility, the language, the space, Um, the awareness and the equity. I think equity is key Mm because we can't just say, just open the doors and let any Hispanic band play here. No, we have to actually work a little harder to get people to come out of here. So we need to spend a little extra on promotion to get people from Aurora, from Lakewood, from Thornton to come Mm -hmm. down to South Broadway. We can't just say, hey, it's open to everybody. No, we have to put put the work in
0: yeah saying that something is open like that doesn't make it so and it doesn't mean that that marketing those dol that those marketing dollars are reaching into the different neighborhoods where people live like i think with marketing it's just centralized into denver and it's like yeah i'll put some stuff downtown or we'll, like put it on facebook towards our targeted audience and it's like then you're just talking to the same people over and over and over again and you're expecting you know if you, if you book this lineup where it's all black and brown artists like that doesn't make the audience so, and that doesn't make it a safe space for those people either.
1: There's all these other cues that people are reading, like why they are or are, are not welcome in a space. But a big part too, you, like you're saying, is marketing. Like, a lot of folks live in out, outside of Denver. So we need to invite them to South Broadway, for instance. You know, like, you're right. And I think that's something we've experienced as a city, as, as folks are displaced, they're still wanting to be a part of what's happening in Denver. They just happen to live in Aurora now, or Wheat Ridge, or or, that, or you know.
0: So. Yeah, and I guess we can look at those historically like black and brown places, but they're now white anyway. Right. So it doesn't, like, The blow. census just came blow. out, it's, yeah. That's pretty much what happened.
1: Well, thank you three so much for joining me today. This was awesome. Thanks.
3: Thank you. I thank appreciate you. it. And
1: thank you all for coming. This is, like, amazing that we have this full room we were a little bit worried so we all brought our significant others and we're like well you know if no one shows up at least our my husband's here being happy excited but thank you guys so much um exandra are you going to come up and do oh yeah is it, we're going to do a little q a if anybody has questions yeah. um, i don't know how long this mic cord is oh, so yeah. maybe we can just project because it's a small space what they yeah, ask sure, sure. So, yeah. Did you have a question? Yeah. It, actually, if you want to come up, that would be awesome.
0: Hi. First of all, thank you so much. My name is Liz. I just moved here from Oakland, California, and I, this is the first moment I felt at home inside So thank you for for producing this and putting this conversation together. Both have been in the music industry for over a decade. Um. I wanted to hear your perspectives on block programming, on the pros and cons, both for broadcasts as well as live performances. Um, back in the 80s and 90s, there used to be these crazy bills of all different genres, and you get a really mixed crowd for that. And I feel like that's changed quite a bit. And I, yeah, just love to hear your perspective.
1: So you're asking, like, block programming, like, types of artists playing together, or? Yeah, like the Latin hour, or when's Taco Tuesdays, and a mariachi band,
0: like (laughs) that type of stuff. Thank you. Oh okay, yeah. What up, guys? Okay, so actually, with both of those, it's really interesting. Um, so I kind of touched base on it with like a and having like these specialty hours, and we see it with a lot of different things. Like if there is a full hour of music with women in it, it's a specialty show. But if it's a full hour of men in it, it's radio. Um, so like, but that seems to be like that's the case across the board, right? And it's like if it's an all black lineup, it's a special type of thing versus an all white lineup, it's a show. Like that is a problem. But then we can go further into genres, right? And that's a beautiful thing about the DIY space is that like, you get all of those different genres, you're going to hear four or five different types of things in one night, and you're going to discover something new, you're going to like, you're going to be inspired by something different, and it is going away. And I think part of that is like, how are we going to keep the most listeners? How are we going to bring in the biggest audience? And like, intuitively, we can say if we book these five different acts, like, we'll say three, because five is Becoming too long for me anymore. I'm a grandma now. Um, but, you know, if we have these three different genres, maybe a couple of different people from each one is going to come, but it's not going to be as much as if we have, like, this one block of, like, we'll say, like, Weezer and Fallout Boy and whatever that title is, just right? That show. <laughs> like, Weezer, Fallout Boy, and Green
1: Day, I think it
0: was. Yeah. Maybe? Was yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. That is
1: a high. You want to make some money?
0: And they That's are. They're money. making a ton of money, but it's is it serving community? Is it serving its purpose? No, absolutely not, and it does that with radio too. And there's a whole reason why radio all sounds the same. There's a reason why you can tune at eight in the morning and five at night and hear the same goddamn song three times in the same hour. You know that that it's a formula, and it's because most people will listen. Um, but is it serving the community? Is it serving what it's supposed to? Not necessarily. But there's a, that, that's why we still have community radio. That's still that's why we still have DIY spaces and independent venues and those types of things. And it is super important to be able to branch out and like say we're actually going to do these different things because we need to and what's really wonderful especially about the Denver music scene welcome by the way um, is that Denver is super supportive I love hearing like (laughs) you hear a new band and I there will be a new band and I'll have four or five different other bands be like have you heard these guys have you heard these guys check them out they should be on your radio show and it's true they're great and but, you know they wouldn't I wouldn't have known about that without these five other people telling me but they do step up and say like yeah you should book this band you should play them on your show giving up that slot that they could have um, and I, I will say it normally happens from other bipoc artists or femme artists or whatever but it is growing um, I think you know there's there's always that business side which is why we have to have that block programming and why we have to have the thing that kind of sounds the same and looks the same all the time but those spaces are super important and we have to fight to keep them going
1: and I would say we do in Denver we in Colorado we have a pretty cool independent radio uh, landscape we have KGNU we have um, the drop is a new a newer one from Kubo which is like the most wide variety of hip-hop I've ever heard in my life on the radio. It kind of blows my mind what they're playing. Um, Also, um, like Bruce's show, uh, Especial and Indie 1023. So we have a lot of ways to support that, but it isn't by any means the mainstream part of the radio, for sure.
0: Colorado does, by the way, have the most um, community stations out of any other state. It's pretty great. We're pretty cool, Colorado. That's awesome. (laughs) Any other questions?
2: I know nobody's asked this, but my band is playing <laughs> <laughs> tomorrow. Oh yeah, I want you guys to all
1: promote <laughs> what you're doing this weekend.
2: Great, so my band is playing, Iskali is playing tomorrow night or midnight at uh, Stony's Cantina. Um, if you've never experienced my band, you should come out. It's going to be a fun show. Super Wes fun. actually plays uh, uh, with us, so he'll be there as well. Um, but yeah, come out. I got some goodies for you. They're in my car. I'm going to bring them back out here so you don't. Forget about the show. So yeah, okay. it's, it's, Thank you, that's Miguel.
3: shameless promotion. That's what I like Please to do. do. <laughs>
2: yeah, and also,
3: to us. my other band is playing tonight at HQ at ten forty, I think.
1: At HQ, okay. HQ. Old Three Kings. Old Three
3: Kings. The <laughs> artist formerly known as Three Kings. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then, um,
0: Bruce, where can we find you or? Indy1023 yeah, is here all weekend. We've got a tent kind of over by the showcase stage. Um, listen to Especial 6 p.m. on Sunday night. It's all UMS artists, uh, the Latin UMS artists. So you can hear he's got uh, a live recording actually from the Levitt Pavilion. Um, and yeah, we're gonna be around. I'm gonna be going to a lot of different, different spots. Um,
1: yeah, I'll be around. Awesome, and you can catch CityCast Denver on any place you get your podcasts. Um, You can visit my friend Peyton at the back. Um, She would love for you to sign up for our newsletter. She writes it every day. I edit it every day. It's fantastic. I learn something new about the city from Peyton every day. Um, And you can find more out about what we're doing there. So um, it's citycast. Oh, gosh. What is her? Denver.citycast.fm. (laughs) Denver.citycast.fm. Thanks, Alexandra. Thank you all for being here. This is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you